Bigglers, you guys can disappear now. So, we are in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. And we are going to be looking at the first half of the chapter this morning. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Now remember the theme, kind of the overarching theme of the Gospel of Matthew, is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, and he is the king of Israel. And Matthew is now going to give evidence of that. He's going to share nine or ten miracles in quick succession that Jesus performed. In fact, uh, half of all the miracles in the Gospel of Matthew are in these next two chapters. And these miracles are the proofs that Jesus gives to the claims that he's making. Um, You guys know that these days we all have these public leaders and they brag about what they're going to do once they're in power. How often do they deliver on what they promise? And yet Jesus says who he is and then here we see him backing it up by what he does. Now, these miracles force the people who witness them to make a decision about Jesus. They should acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah and King because of these authenticating signs and wonders. And we will see in the coming weeks how the people and the leaders responded to Jesus. Uh, The other gospel writer, Mark, records the miracles of Jesus in chronological order, but Matthew groups these miracles for effect on the hearers and the readers. And in the case of our passage today, we will cover one group of three miracles. These are all healings. It's possible that these three miracles may have actually happened on the same day. This is like a a snapshot or a day in the life of Jesus. This is a good representation of what he did during his earthly ministry. Not only did Jesus heal three people, but all three were outcasts to the Jewish leaders of the day. One was a leper, one was a Gentile, and one was a woman. But Jesus wasn't bound by the narrow-mindedness of the Jewish culture of that time. He demonstrates his divine power, and he demonstrates his limitless compassion to the weak and to the hurting. So let's look at the first story here uh, where Jesus cleanses the leper. Matthew chapter 8, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So uh, the big crowds that were following Jesus were about to get the shock of a lifetime. I think I overused that word this morning, shock. Listen for it as we go. 
The text says that a leper came to him. That's, that's an understatement there. That's a brevity there. Let's talk about lepers and leprosy for a minute. Leprosy referred to a variety of skin conditions, some of them contagious, some of them deadly. And lepers were required to leave their families and isolate with other lepers. The Jewish leaders believed that lepers were terrible people. And the evidence of that was that they had contracted leprosy. This was, in their minds, a judgment from God. They didn't believe that lepers deserved their pity or mercy. Uh, Mike Johnson with the mission was with us at Potluck last week, and he talked about the homeless as adult orphans. I think that's probably an appropriate description of the lepers in the first century. They were homeless, and they were ostracized from society. And yet this leper made a step of faith and decided to approach Jesus, even though he was in the middle of a great crowd. He yelled unclean as he violated the norms of society and walked toward the crowd. And the crowd would have quickly spread out, leaving only the leper and Jesus at the center of a wide circle. This leper may have been ravaged by the disease for many years, and the crowd would have viewed his situation and his condition as hopeless. The leper knelt before Jesus. He took a posture of submission. He doesn't take a demanding tone with Jesus. Instead, he calls him Lord. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Here the leper shows his faith again. He knew Jesus was able to heal him. Heal him. He trusted in the ability of Jesus, but he didn't know about his willingness. He believed in the power of Jesus, but wondered about his love and his mercy. The leper saw compassion in Jesus. It had been a long time since he had seen that in the face of another. Jesus was willing. He reached out and touched the leper and healed him. He didn't worry about social norms or becoming richly unclean or getting the disease himself. Let me go off on one of my usual tangents at this point. I've mentioned a couple times recently um, about love languages at our breaking of bread service. We all have certain ways that we want to show love to each other and that we're wired to receive love. And for some of us, that love language is physical touch. That's one of the top ones for me. Sometimes it's shaking hands. Sometimes it's a hug. Sometimes it's a hand on the shoulder. A couple of years ago, I talked in a sermon about the phrase, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I got a big smooch from Gary Beeman for my efforts. So I won't do that again. <laughs> These past couple of years in the pandemic era, we've had less physical touch than ever. And for some of us, that's hard. This man, this leper, probably hadn't had the physical touch of another person in a long time. He hadn't been able to touch his wife or his kids or the rest of his family. And yet Jesus, with warmth and kindness in his eyes, reached out and touched an untouchable person. 
The crowd was watching intently from a safe distance, and there must have been a collective gasp as Jesus stretched out his hand. And a second shock came right after as the touch of Jesus instantly healed years of damage that this disease had caused. Now Jesus then makes a difficult request of this man. He asks him to keep silent and go to the priest. Jesus didn't want the crowds to grow even more. He didn't want to make the Romans nervous that an uprising was brewing. And he didn't want the people to flock to him expecting bigger and better magic tricks. And he also didn't want people to try and elevate him to the king with the wrong motive of overthrowing the Roman government. He didn't want his own popularity to lead to a misunderstanding of what his true mission was. What he wanted was that he wanted the motives of the people that were coming to him to be humble and repentant, and they weren't. I have some sympathy for this man. Jesus was asking him to keep quiet and travel all the way down to Jerusalem to the priest. But this leper had been healed, a miracle which was viewed by the people as being so incredible, it was equivalent to Jesus raising someone from the dead. How could he contain his joy and emotion? And uh, the parallel, parallel passage in Mark chapter 1 says he couldn't. Instead, he disobeyed Jesus, and he shared freely what happened to him. And as a result of that, Jesus could no longer enter cities. Instead, Jesus roamed in the desolate wilderness, and yet the people still flocked out to him. So why did Jesus send the leper to Jerusalem? Well, it was the law, and Jesus respected and honored the law. And the law spelled out in Leviticus 14 says that a cleansed leper must present himself to the priest for examination. And if the leper is cleansed, there is a whole procedure for the priest to undergo with that cleansed leper. Imagine, though, this scene, and maybe he, this leper, maybe he blabbed all the way, but maybe he made it down there to the priest. And so he's cleansed, and he visits the priest. And imagine how that conversation starts. Hi, I was a leper, and uh, now I've been healed. Can you please pronounce me clean? Here's another shock. What a shock to the priest. We have record of Moses cleansing Miriam of leprosy, and we have Elisha cleansing Naaman. But there may not have been a cleansed leper to visit the temple in 1,500 years. And yet God put a provision in the law for this circumstance, the curing of an incurable disease. They would have had to dust off the scrolls and read Leviticus 14 to find out exactly what they were supposed to do. The hope here is that the priest would have seen the whole picture clearly as he had this cleansed leper in front of him. Obviously, a miracle had taken place, a miracle that the priest was being asked to certify as legitimate and true. The priest should have questioned this man thoroughly and traced this miracle back to Jesus. So in the form of this leper, Jesus is delivering his calling card to the priest. 
announcing who he was. The question is, would the priest call on Jesus in response? We do learn that after the resurrection, says this in Acts 6-7, it says, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Maybe that started here. Let's put ourselves in the leper's shoes for a minute. Leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin, an incurable disease. Some people try and deal with their leprosy before they go to Jesus. I've got to get my life in order, and then I can approach a relationship with the Lord. Don't do that. If you are a terrible sinner who feels unworthy and unclean, don't make the mistake of staying away from Jesus. Approach him. If you want Jesus to heal you of your sin, he will never turn you away. He is willing to heal you. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The question is, are you willing? Reach out and touch him if you are willing to be changed by him. True, genuine faith in Jesus Christ will never be disappointed. Now, for those of us who have been cleansed from the disease of sin by the Lord Jesus, how will we respond? Are we willing to love the unlovable in our society like he did for us? Or are we trying to remain at a safe distance away? Okay, uh, hopefully you guys can read that. If not, um, we are looking at verses 5 through 13 here. This is the centurion. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, to Jesus, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the, into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Okay, so a centurion. You'll remember, uh, if you've studied the Bible for any period of time, you'll remember that uh, centurions pop up in the Gospels and in Acts. And a centurion is a member of the Roman military, and he's in charge of 100 soldiers, century, that kind of idea. Um, I think there's seven different centurions mentioned in the New Testament, and all of them are good guys. All of them are men of upright character and integrity and duty. In this situation, 
the centurion approaches Jesus with a request for healing. But it wasn't for himself. It was for someone else, his servant. In Luke's telling of this story, the servant was near to the point of death. This leader cared for his servant. This would have been uh, unusual for a person of such high rank to show compassion for a lowly servant. How are we doing at appealing to Jesus on behalf of someone else who's in desperate need? This centurion is an amazingly perceptive and discerning man. His Romans were the rulers over the Jews, including Jesus, and he was an especially powerful man with command over a hundred soldiers, like we said, who could protect him, defend him, and carry out his wishes. And yet he recognized his own unworthiness compared to Jesus. And as a man of authority himself, he recognized a man in Jesus who had vastly greater authority. The centurion cared for those under his care. He was humble. He knew the limits of his power and leadership, and he knew when to ask for help. And so Jesus offers to visit the home of the centurion and heal this suffering servant. He was again willing to cross a cultural boundary by entering the home of a Gentile. He was willing to go against regulation and tradition to do the right thing. But the centurion shows great respect to Jesus by declining his offer. The centurion assumed that a great teacher and a great rabbi like Jesus would view the home of a Gentile as unworthy to visit. He would have known that a Jew uh, would become ceremonially unclean by entering his home. Now, uh, the centurion may have been a God-fearer who recognized that Jesus' authority came from God the Father. And he knew uh, what Jesus was in control over, what he was in command over, and that was all of creation. He somehow apprehended that Jesus' power wasn't limited by physical proximity either. And so there's something so wise and insightful about this guy. A Gentile, without all the benefits of the Jews' special relationship with the Almighty God, and yet he still understood the immense power and authority of Jesus, and that it was given to him by the Father. This Gentile man got it, when hardly any of Jesus' own people did. Here's the word shocked again. Jesus is shocked by the centurion's faith. Our passage says he marveled. This is the only time recorded in Scripture that Jesus marveled, at least in a positive sense. Jesus had been looking for this kind of faith in Israel, and he didn't find it. And he tells the, the people that the faith of this Gentile is greater than the faith of any Jew that he has met so far. Okay, I want to go on my uh, annual rant about faith for just a brief second. Some people say that faith is a gift from God. I personally don't believe that's true. Faith is our response to God's offer of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Another word for faith is belief. Another word is trust. Faith doesn't save us, 
but faith is a precondition for salvation. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. He didn't give him his faith. And yet all the credit for the healing of the servant goes to Jesus. It was Jesus who saved the servant. And at this point in uh, his conversation with the centurion here, he turns and addresses the crowd. And he gives them a double shock. First, he tells them that there will be Gentiles in the kingdom of heaven. Not only that, but they will feast at the same table as the patriarchs. As believers, we will get to enjoy and participate in the millennial reign of Christ here on earth, sharing our meals with the great saints of the ages. The kingdom will be a time of rest and food and good company with many people from many times and cultures from around the world. How horrific for the Jews to hear that they had to share the kingdom of God with Gentiles. And then Jesus makes it even worse. He tells them that some Jews will not enter the kingdom at all. This was just unthinkable. The Jews thought the resurrection into the kingdom was for them, and the resurrection to judgment was for Gentiles. But Jesus tells them that the resurrection to life was available to all men, and the resurrection to outer darkness was also an option available to everyone. Jesus turns back to the centurion at this point and tells him that his servant has been healed. In the Gospels, we have two Gentiles who are healed, both from a distance. The distance symbolizes the separation the Gentiles had from the promises of God and the hope of the Messiah. But the healings themselves show that that separation was not a permanent one. Jesus is declaring here that his message of repentance and salvation and eternal life in the kingdom is for everyone. Let's look at our third healing. Verses 14 through 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Here we find out that Peter was a homeowner. He was married, and his mother-in-law lived with him, which was unusual for the time. Peter's mother-in-law was homesick with a fever, and Jesus visits her, touches her, and heals her. Now, I just want to make a quick note here on how women were viewed in that culture. And this is just kind of a little tidbit tidbit from that culture. An example here. When a woman was expecting a child and the time of delivery drew near, family and friends would bring gifts and gather at the family's home. And if the baby turned out to be a boy, there would be a celebration and a party for several days. But if it was a girl, the crowd would leave immediately 
would take their gifts with them. That was the culture of the day. The main usefulness for women, um, as the culture perceived it, was their ability to carry on the human race. But again here, Jesus is breaking social norms and conventions. He touches a woman who wasn't his spouse, who was sick with a fever, and the Gospel of Mark says that this was on the Sabbath as well. So again, he bypasses all sorts of regulations and customs. Jesus cared for women no less than men. He cares for women no less than men. Now normally, a person is drained of strength and energy after recovering from a fever, but Peter's mother-in-law was completely healed. She got right up and began to serve Jesus right away. This is a great example for us. Are we serving Jesus after he's healed us? Like this woman, how have we ministered to the Lord because he has ministered to us? This miracle, this healing of Peter's mother-in-law led to other miracles in the community. The word spread of what happened in Peter's house. And once the Sabbath had ended at sunset, others made their way to Jesus. More healings took place. And Jesus also got rid of the demons who were oppressing these people. And he didn't need an elaborate ceremony. He did it with a word. Jesus has power over Satan and his underlings. This was all in fulfillment of Isaiah 53:4, which says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The blessing that started in Peter's house spread out to the neighborhood. Now, we don't see healing like this today. God can heal us miraculously, but he often chooses not to. But these healings by Jesus preview our ultimate healing from any physical pain and suffering when we enter into his kingdom and his eternal rest. So we've seen a snapshot here of three healing miracles performed by Jesus. And remember that Matthew groups these miracles together thematically and not chronologically. So what's Matthew trying to tell us? Well, the first miracle, the healing of the leper and his supposed trip to the priest, is a picture of Jesus coming to the Jews, but the leaders failing to recognize him as Messiah and present him to the people as the rightful king. The second miracle, the healing of the centurion's centurion servant represents our present day where Jesus is working among the Gentiles and healing people of their sin even though he isn't physically present the third miracle the healing of Peter's mother-in-law represents the return of Christ to the house of Israel with Israel's restored relationship with him and useful service to him and finally we see a picture of the millennial kingdom which is represented by the people being heal, healed of their illnesses and diseases. So I'd like to finish up here by making five applications. Here are five lessons from the five characters in the section we've studied this morning. Two applications for those of you who do not know Christ 
and three for those of us that do. First, for the unbeliever, be the leper. Recognize your leprosy. Recognize your sin. Don't try to heal yourself. It's impossible. Instead, kneel before the Lord Jesus, the only one who can heal the leprosy of sin. He is willing to heal you. Second, for the unbeliever, be the good priest. You have been presented with evidence for Jesus. Examine the claims of Jesus and see if he is who he says he is. See if he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Follow the trail. Search the scripture. Talk to others who do know him. Seek out Jesus, and he will find you. Third, for the Christian, be the mother-in-law. Jesus has healed you. Now get up off the couch and do something for him. Thank him for his salvation by serving him in the best way that you know how. Fourth, for the Christian, be the centurion. Care for those less fortunate than you. Be an other-centered person, not a self-centered person. Use your authority, use your station in life to help those who are helpless and suffering. And recognize the power in Jesus to work in the lives of your loved ones. Pray for him to do that. Approach Jesus and make your appeal to him on behalf of other people. Finally, for the Christian, be like Jesus. Be the hands and feet of Jesus in this broken world. In this world, there are lepers and Gentiles and servants and women that need the healing touch of Jesus Christ. Let's not be afraid to cross racial and cultural boundaries to share the love of Christ with others. Let's not be afraid to touch the untouchables because that's exactly what we were, the untouchables, before Jesus Christ touched us. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for these examples from Scripture of your Son's healing power. Thank you uh, that he has healed us, those of us that know you, Lord. Thank you uh, that he was willing and able to heal us from our sin, Lord. Lord, help us to touch the untouchables. Help us to touch others with the good news of Jesus Christ uh, in the world today and this week and in this holiday season ahead, Lord, uh, as, as we are thankful and grateful to you as we enter this Thanksgiving period, help us to be thankful by serving you, Lord. So, Lord, as we go out into the world this morning, help us to be ambassadors for Christ in the lost world, Lord. We commit this uh, singing time to you now, Lord, and I just pray that this worship and praise would be honoring to you and glorifying to your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.